Can you quantify your risk? Most companies can't. And if you don't know where your risks are, how do you architect your environment to stop those risks? Stay tuned to find out how. Hey everybody, this is Chris Brandt here with Sundish Patel. Welcome to another future video podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that 96% of the people who watch these videos are not subscribers, and it would be awesome if you could subscribe as it really helps the channel. Now, today's guest has been on the show before, and he has been one of the most popular guests to date. Socket Modi is the CEO of Safe Security, a startup that helps you identify risks across your entire environment, including third-party vendors. They give you a score based on real data to help you chart your course. And today, we're going to be talking about the importance of quantifying your risk, communicating your risk to the board level, and assessing the security of third parties that you work with. Welcome, Socket. Thank you for having me on the show, Chris and Sandesh. It's truly an honor. We enjoyed last time. I hope I won't disappoint you this time. Oh, I, I guarantee you will not, because uh, like I said, I think you've been one of the most popular guests. And, you know, uh, I think uh, Sundish and I really enjoyed that podcast when we did it last time, because I think you're a really um, interesting young entrepreneur. And I, I think you have a lot of cool ideas and doing cool stuff. And our whole thing is talking to cool people doing cool stuff. So you fit right in that demographic for us. Before we get going, just to remind people, could you just give me the quick overview? What is safe security? Cybersecurity, in our view, Chris, is broken, as cliche as it might sound. <laughs> what is broken in cybersecurity can be combined into three buckets. The first bucket is most large Fortune 2000 companies have too many cybersecurity products in their environment. So you have isolated no dashboards. When you look at a firewall, it only tells you how secure is your network. When you look at an EDR, it only tells you how secure your endpoints are. CASB will only tell you access to the cloud, et cetera, et cetera. But who is putting all of this together to give you one centralized view? Almost nobody. And that's the first big problem. Right. Very, very isolated. The second big problem in cybersecurity, in our view, is it's very reactive. SOC incidents only occur after it has already happened as an event or as a log. You see P1, P2, P3 incidents only after something has occurred. Guess what? It's much, it's very, very late because you're only reactively responding to something that's already happened. It's almost like driving the car by seeing the rear view mirror because you're only seeing the road which has gone already and not really seeing what bump lies ahead of you potentially and prepare for the same. So the second problem, very, very yeah. reactive. And the third problem is really that 99.9% .9 of the cybersecurity products do not speak the language of the business. How many malware-affected machines are there in your environment? How many people clicked on a phishing link? Or how many incidents did you respond to does not talk the language that the CFO or the board understands, which, by the way, is right now one of the highest concerns of boards around the world, actually among the top three, according to World Economic Forum's Global Risk Reports. That was that, that just came out a few months back. So these are the three problems, siloed, reactive, and doesn't talk the language of the business that we at SAFE are trying to solve using our SaaS platform, SAFE, where we merge signals or aggregate signals across your tech stack on cloud, on-prem, and we put those signals together using APIs. We put that into a Bayesian network that we've co-developed with MIT, and we use Bayesian to go ahead and predict the likelihood of a breach in the next 12 months. And at the end, we convert the likelihood of breach 
coupled with the potential impact which comes from cyber insurance claims data, and we use something called Monte Carlo simulation to give you the expected dollar value risk that you're sitting on. You touch on a couple things that are just incredibly important about that. You know, it's it's the it's the idea that you know the security market is deeply fragmented, and um, and 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 you do have lots of point solutions that are really hard to wrangle. And I think that speaks to the the big problem that most companies have is sort of the operationalizing security, and that is that is where I think a lot of people s- struggle. But even beyond operationalizing security, quantifying your risk is something that so few people can really speak to. And and, and it sounds like that's that's really your sweet spot there, right? Totally, Chris. And in the Famous words of John Doerr, you cannot manage what you cannot measure. So I think it all starts with measurement. Uh, In our biased view, the single biggest risk in cyber risk management is getting your measurement wrong. Because if you don't know where you stand, how do you know where you want to get towards? And therefore, uh, we think we're sitting on something very, very exciting. And uh, that probably is the number one reason why we're growing so fast. So let's let's dig into some of these main components here. You know, we talked about cyber risk quantification. I mean, it, it, could you and you, you it, when you were describing safe security, you, you kind of touched on that a little bit. But can you kind of get in there and 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 tell us how you you go about quantifying that risk? Sure. And Chris, I like this this line that really came out from one of our advisors uh, and then really, you know, polished by our marketing team. I'm not a marketing guy, as you can probably tell by now, I'm a geek and a nerd and uh, I stay away from marketing, but sometimes they come up with some incredible things. And this was this one line which says, we converts bits and bytes into dollars and cents. And they're like, wow, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because if you think about it, all the signal outputs, and by the way, Chris, we were just talking about, you know, a mixer, which is for my microphone and does exactly the same, which takes analog signals and converts into digital. What we're going to do, think of us as that mixer, which, which is in between my microphone and my laptop. In other <laughs> words, think of us as the middleware, which takes API signals from your CrowdStrike, Qualys, AWS Security Hub, Prisma, Proofpoint, Know Before, OneTrust, et cetera, et cetera, all API driven. So you're not going ahead and answering 700 questions, which can have very subjective, you know, inputs, which can, depending on who's filling those things in. So on one side, you have all of these inputs coming to our SaaS platform. And we take these failing controls in real time, Chris, and map these to the attack miter framework. So you have the tactics and techniques, which the U.S. government has very, very nicely put together, which basically is this entire kill chain for any hack that has ever happened in the world. And once we map our failing controls that we're getting from these APIs and put them together in the attack miter framework against every technique, we map these techniques into individual assets, employees, third parties, et cetera, et cetera. And the output is threefolds. Quantified risk, which is a score between zero and five. And we'll double click on that because a lot of times scoring can be very abstract, can be just red, amber, green. We don't believe in that. In fact, something interesting, we don't believe in scoring. Most scoring models are red, amber, green, very subjective. Our scoring means the likelihood of breach in the next 12 months. So there's Mm. a meaning to the score. So the first output, a quantified view of your risk using the score. The second output, Chris, is actionable insights. Because scores need to drive behavior. And you want to know if I bought an EDR versus me buying a threat hunting tool versus me buying a, you know, CSPM tool, 
and maybe all of them come from the same kitty, the same budget, what will have the maximum bang for the buck? And you want to know that. So driving actions from what moves the needle the most, which is very, very obviously intuitive, but very, very not so obviously not practiced by 99% of cybersecurity risk professional or risk management professionals around the world. So scores, actionable insights, and then not just stopping at that, but converting where you are and where you can be in terms of the dollar value risk of your company, because that's something that the business understands, your CEO, your CFO, and most importantly, your shareholders understand, because that's the only metric that 7 billion people on the, per, uh, on the planet, uh, non-ambiguously, non-subjectively has the same meaning for. So these three outputs with APIs as inputs and with the black box in between, which is safe, uh, which actually maps and does all the mapping. And all of that can be deployed and can be up and running uh, in, in, in quite literally under seven days of implementation for very large Fortune 100 companies that we've done. So that is the quantification side where we are able to get the data, put that into the data science model that we've co-developed with MIT, and then throw out very objective, very actionable, uh, you know, outputs in the form of the three things I spoke about. You know, I, I think you, you mentioned a few things there that I just want to highlight. Um, one is that you, you talked about the fact that you're working with APIs and collecting data from APIs and the fact that it's not reliant on an individual to do that, because we all know that if you give an overworked, overburdened security team some forms and things to fill out, it's not going to get done. And, and, and they're probably going to be, be saying, I could go work at this other place. That doesn't make me do this anyways. Right. Um, and, and, and I, I think the other thing that I, the couple other things that are really interesting is, you know, you say you, your, your score is really based on thing. It's not just like, you know, lukewarm, medium warm and, and kind of warm. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, this is your propensity based on these specific you know, measurable increments, right? Um, and and then I think the, the the other piece that I just want to highlight of what you said is that actionable insights piece, because I think so many times people are told this is broken, um, but you don't have the information, and, and that's when the googling starts, right? Um, and and then I think the other thing that you didn't mention, but I would assume that is baked in there that you know seems really interesting to me too is one of the things about quantification of risk is the ability to prioritize risk, right? And and it sounds like that's that's what you're giving people too, is the ability to sort of say, this needs to be dealt with right away kind of thing, right? 100%, Chris, and a few points that you raised. Let me go in the same order. The first piece which you spoke about API, this was Forrester, which came out with a report not long back. It's probably been eight weeks now. And it came out with the whole cyber risk quantification and how most companies today use a fairly popular methodology called the FAIR methodology. Mm -hmm. And uh, Forrester went to the point of actually writing that based on their conversations with companies which are trying to implement that, it's nothing more than a science project which never seems to come to an end yeah. because the number of scenarios that you have to model with the number of questions that you have to answer, it's almost never ending. And you know, the other very interesting thing, which was an insight, when you have multiple people in the same organization, filling the same questionnaire or trying to model the same scenarios, the output is very, very different in terms of the risk. And how can that be true? Because the risk is the risk, no matter who should be giving in the input. And that's where removing the subjectivity and coming out with signals, which 
which are which are very objective uh, make a lot of sense in fact uh, in our view crq is only an enabler of crm because what the ultimate intent of an organization is to manage their cyber risk so cyber risk management is basically the end goal and the means to get to the end is cyber risk quantification which comes to the last point which you mentioned which was really that look it's it's driving action in a prioritized man- manner mm-hmm. is what we're trying to you know influence here right from the top and i'm talking about the board here yeah and then going both ways below the board where you're talking about the ceo knowing what risk they're sitting on while they're doing their digital transformation going to the cloud the cio uh, you know owning the infrastructure and knowing what their appetite of their risk is the cfo you know putting that risk into their operational risk and obviously the ciso or you know the chief risk officer being the custodian of the framework not the risk the framework in which the risk needs to be represented to all of these and if you go above the board and again above is wrong the the, the 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 wrong word but really out of the board you actually have cyber insurance underwriters you have sec as regulators yeah. for example uh you have your shareholders who are all now demanding this objective view which is not a 700 page report with the dump of every dashboard of every tool that you have in your environment but something very very measurable saying this is where we are this is where we were this is where we aspire to be and this is how we compare with the industry peers uh industry average and the top 5 percentile that's really as simple as what the output of cybersecurity risk quantification needs to be so that it can drive cybersecurity risk program management so that's just you know what we're trying to do chris and uh, that's the reason why it has been a a fairly fresh approach that i was talking to a ciso of a fortune 100 company and uh, she was telling me sakit your product is almost like you know cyber risk quantification on steroids because uh, because the speed at which i can go live with your solution and get value out of it uh it's 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 almost unparalleled to none because all they have to do is give us a read only access to the apis of the agents which are already deployed in their environment or the assessment that is already happening and the last question which obviously will come in from there what happens if i don't have some tools if i'm not re- ready for that or you know i only have x tool while you need x plus y tools well you know what not having data is also data Well, so I, I want to like uh, talk about you know what you what you you mentioned there is sort of the, the idea of communicating information to the C-suite and to the board and to people who aren't necessarily probably even technical and 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 you hit it right on the head when you said there's this like the 700 page document that has all these printouts and things that nobody understands and and I think the whole purpose of it is just to be so thick that it scares the people off from reading it so they don't bother the IT group but um but that's not really helpful to the business right so um can you talk about uh the one just the importance of communicating these risks to the board and two how you go about doing that and what that looks like if i just take a step back there chris the sec just came out with this guideline uh, which is still open for comments and it probably become a regulation very very soon which says that any publicly listed company if it suffers a breach which can have a material impact to the value of shares they need to report it to sec within four working days from the knowledge of that breach yeah and you know what is a material impact they basically say that you know anything that happens internally and that's that's very subjective because you don't know what hack 
can go out and uh, and have a material impact on your share prices. So that's the right. one side. They don't just stop there. They take it one step further. Not only will you have to report the breach and keep us posted till the time you have the root cause and you know you try to you know recover from the breach, but you also have to prove that you were quantifiably managing your risk in the best possible capacity given the resources that you had. Yeah. Now again, as you can imagine, when SEC says that, that's like a ton of, uh, I would say, added responsibilities, fiduciary responsibility on the shoulders of every single board member of every single publicly traded company in the United States. Yeah. And that's very, very, very important. So while on one side, the SEC now understands that, and the reason it's coming out is because cyber breaches can actually have a devastating you know, impact on your share prices, top line, bottom line, cost of opportunity, cost of, you know, customer acquisition, and so many of the, you know, parameters which are out there. And that's the reason SEC is coming out with that. But the problem is, the other side of the spectrum, 99% of the board members, they are not people who have actually seen or have managed cyber uh, in any of their past roles. CISOs, as we know, don't have a board seat. So imagine this, trying to communicate while on one side, SEC is saying, no, no, you have to look into it. <laughs> and on the other side, you're like, yeah, I understand I have to look into it. But this this, this huge 700-page report, which is thrown at me, I really don't understand what's inside that. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've seen, Chris, believe it or not, I've seen large companies make their CISO's office, make these reports on a weekly basis, believe it or not, yeah. weekly. Right. I'm like, are you serious? You're making 700 pages report on a weekly basis. And like, yeah. And my question was, who do you think is reading this? The answer is nobody, but you know what? It looks great. And you know, because we suffered a breach and this is what the optics need to be yeah. on the regulators or the insurance carriers, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we got to do it. So coming back to the point, which I was making, Chris, is when you talk about board members, I think they're in a very, very, very tricky spot. And this is not just because of regulations. Regulations is a lagging indicator. The leading indicator really is that cyber breaches today can have an existential impact no doubt. on you as a company, especially if you're digitally transforming yourself. Yeah. And it goes without saying, if you don't digitally transform your company, we all know what the output of you as a company would be. So are, are there any companies that aren't digitally transforming right now? <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> I've actually seen some of those companies. I was talking to this Fortune 100 company. I was talking to their CISO, believe it or not, it's a Fortune 100 company, uh, one of the largest retail chains in the United States. And they say, we still don't talk cybersecurity at the board level because we don't believe in e-commerce. Uh, everything is physical stores. We touch and feel the stores. And uh, you know what? Cybersecurity is important, but it's not something that, 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 that we care about because digital is not what my leadership is onboarded with. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. <laughs> it, it just doesn't sound right. But of course, to each their own and considering they're a Fortune 100 company, it's probably me who... Uh, yeah, I would <laughs> love, to, I'd love to have a conversation with that company if you could put me in touch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I promise you, you shop a lot from that company. But, but, but this is a live example. This is as recent as two weeks back. Yeah. But, but, but 
you know, there are a few of those, but of course, as you very rightly pointed out, majority of them are now obviously in the digital transformatory side of things. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, cyber risk becomes one of the top three risks that they need to worry about. What does that look like? I mean, if I'm, I'm a board member and I'm like, I, I've got all this fiduciary responsibility and, you know, I, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley freaked me out when it, that came out. And now I, I've got all these reporting requirements around security and I have no idea what that is all about. What, what, what is it you give them? What do they get that, you know, helps them? As a board member, I think the number one job of yours is to get assurance that cyber risk is being managed in the right mm-hmm. way. It's not your job to manage no. that risk, right? Assurance is what the board cares about. In fact, uh, I like saying this, that the only two times when a CISO gets to meet the board is one, to either assure that everything is in place or second, when nothing's in place because a hack just happened and you know we, we need to report to the board. Yeah. These are really the two trigger reasons why generally CISOs get to meet the board. So the first thing, it's really assurance that you need to drive as the chief information security officer or the chief risk officer, because we think these two are the right roles to go ahead and, and, and put things to the board. Now, how should you look at cyber risk, uh, you know, assurance of how, how it's been managed at the board level? Let me draw a parallel, Chris, so that people understand this much better. We think the way the CFO is to the books and records of a company. So what does a CFO do? A CFO comes into a board meeting and says, here's the numbers of our business. Business number one, these were the targets. This is where we were last quarter. This is where we are this quarter. And this is where we aspire to be in the next quarter. Mm -hmm. Business two, business three, business four. It's the same template that the CFO is presenting as a framework. When business one doesn't do well or business 23 doesn't do well, you don't question the CFO. It's basically the owners of that business, whoever's driving that business, who are accountable to say what went wrong. We think exactly how CFOs are to books and records where they quantify the risk and at the same time, the positives for every business unit, CISOs or CROs, chief risk officers, would be for cybersecurity risk management, where they would step into a board meeting and say, instead of giving all of these things around how many dashboards are red, amber, green, that's not important. The important thing should be that business number one, two, three, or N, which contribute to say 80% of our revenue. Now these assets, when I say assets, I'm talking about cloud servers or, you know, public cloud or SaaS services you're using or on-prem servers, routers, database, data storage, web app, mobile app, whatever. These are all assets that can be tagged to individual business units. Mm -hmm. And remember, the scanners are actually scanning these assets which are out there. So they would need to consolidate this and say, business number one, last quarter, this was the risk that they were sitting on. And risk in our worldview only has one metric, dollar values. Mm -hmm. In other words, as a bank, the right metric should be that the retail banking, which is one of our business, is today sitting at a potential risk of $300 million. And if we add a new EDR, which will cost us $2 million, that $300 million risk can come down to $250 million of risk. And remember, there's this law of diminishing returns, right? Every time you add $2 million, $3 million, not every time there'll be an impact of the same kind. So after a point, 
you can mitigate some parts of that risk. The second piece would be transfer that risk partially. You can you can never transfer completely, and that's where buying cyber insurance comes into the yeah. picture. And even after that, there will be residual risk, which says you know after doing all of this, our retail banking would still be sitting at a risk of say hundred and ten million dollars. And then it's for the board and the CFO to say you know what, that's an acceptable risk. We have a forty billion dollar P and L. But I'm I'm okay with a hundred million dollar risk, or the other way around. Oh my God, this is very bad because our bottom line is very bad, and we get hit hit by a hundred million dollar cyber incident. Uh, it's going to be really really bad, and therefore we need to invest even more on either mitigating the risk by buying more security solutions and implementing them in the right fidelity with the right coverage, or buying more cyber insurance so that that can further come down. So that's our view, Chris. That all of this analysis. Business by business, the whole framework of putting that together is what CISOs and CROs would be required to do, and that, in our view, is the boardroom of the future, which has digital as a business model <clears throat> and not a you know and not a back office operation, uh, and that's the whole meaning of digital transformation that most companies are going through. Well, and you know one one thing you, you I just want to highlight that you said in there that I think is really interesting is you know so often. Um, IT groups or security groups in an, an organization have such a hard time justifying the ROI of purchases and acquisitions they make or, or, you know, money they spend. And if you are quantifying the risk with a dollar value, that's a really easy call to start making at some point then, right? 100%, Chris. Uh, the good part is, you know, the ROI, but you know, there's a, there's a hidden advantage of this also, especially for CISOs. I was talking to a CISO, uh, you know, I think a few weeks back, and I asked him that, you know, do you do risk quantification and reporting that in a quantified dollar value way to the board? The answer was, no, I don't. I'd like to do it, but I'm not sure, you know, we've tried some things and it didn't work out. So I asked him a simple question. Are you convinced that there will be hack, there will be a hack or a few hacks at some point to your organization? He said, oh yeah, all the time, right? Keeps happening. So if I asked him, if there's a very serious hack, and you have to go to the board and show and talk about it. How would you explain that? How would you justify that you, after all the budgets you get and after everything you've done, the hack still happened? He laughed mm -hmm. and he said, well, it's very simple, Saket. You'd then in that case be talking to my successor because I don't think I'll be up here. <laughs> and he was very cool about that because it was almost like I've given up. This is going to happen. And by the way, the CISO just moved from his last organization to the current one. And out there, he was only for 18 months and he moved out because the hack happened. And, you know, this this was a very interesting survey which says Fortune 2000 CISO's average tenure today has come down to 18 months. Mm. And the only reason that, why that's the case, Chris, is because the communication or setting the expectation from the board from the beginning when the hack has not happened already is not happening. So in our case, whenever we provide those insights, analytics, framework, and there are hacks all the time that happen, right? Knowing yeah. your quantification doesn't mean hacks won't happen. What has happened is not only the CISO gets to keep his or her job, but more importantly, they actually get that blank check of spend any money you want to get us out of this. And by the way, it's a win-win for everybody because yeah. uh, because obviously the CISO would know the internal environment far better than you hunting for somebody new from the outside and getting that person in and then you know trying to 
take control of a crashing you know ship which is out there and making that happen so so that's the other side where of course you get the roi super critical but even yeah. for the ciso to to frankly cya uh you know their own their own jobs uh this this actually becomes a pretty good um, you know framework to have yeah i think some cisos are there just to take the blame when things go wrong and get fired and replaced <laughs> Nature yeah. of the beast, but this is where it can change. Let's say, hey, last board meeting, I told you this can be a 35 million risk we're sitting on. And guess what? I was able to just correct all of that in under 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, whatever that number is. So Socket, to to that point, um, clearly I can see the value for like a CISO and a CIO, but you're also highlighting the value proposition for board members and just the the C-suite in general. It's always good to understand your risk. How Who, who do you think... like? Uh, as safe security is today, who who loves you guys the most? Like, wh- is it the is it the C CIO CISO? Is it the CFO? Is it a CEO? Is it the board members? You know, where who's who's getting the most value these days from safe? So, considering the multi tenant output that we have, Sandesh, the answer there is all of the above. Because think of us like the ERP of cybersecurity. If you think about who uses the ERP, the primary owner is generally the chief finance officer or the chief operating officer of a company, right? But it has outputs that goes to the board, to the you know CIO, to, to, to every function of the organization. Think of us as exactly the same. Generally, the custodian of the tool is really the chief information security officer and the chief risk officer. And in, if I were to choose in between two, it's generally the CISO, which is out there. But like an ERP, it has dashboards, which is used across the organization that's exactly how you know our tool is used. And that's the reason why our mission statement, Sandesh, that we want to become the de facto industry standard to measure, manage, and mitigate cyber risks. In short, to become the one score that matters. And why I'm saying this to you is there are too many assessment tools out there. So we are not the one assessment that matters. You probably have 50 assessments already going on in your environment as we speak by 50 different tools. We want to consolidate and give you the one score that matters. And that, that will only matter when there are enough stakeholders, both internally and even externally. Like if I can get you better cyber insurance premiums or lower deductibles or higher coverage on your cyber insurance because of how well managed your cyber risk posture is, or I can get SEC off your back, uh, because you've just proved to them that, you know, you've got this under control. Uh, that is where that will become the only score that matter. And that's really the mission statement, what we're trying to drive towards. Well, it's, it's unique because you're, you know, this is no longer a technology decision, really, you know, uh, it's, it's really, truly a business decision. Right. Yeah. And so my, my other question was, you are in this, um, growth phase right now, you're getting a lot of customers. If you were to pick one, one thing, what is the number one reason, use case, scenario, uh, why you are winning? I would say having a CISO who has a business position, who's a business enabler, is the reason why or the sweetest spot for us to come. Let me just take a step back and explain what I mean by that. We've seen all shades of CISOs, Sandesh. Our focus has been Fortune 2000. On one extreme, we see CISOs only driven by compliance. I'll get mm-hmm. ISO done. I'll done PCI done. I'll get, you know, HIPAA done, et cetera, et cetera. But that's one extreme. On the other extreme, we have CISOs who have a seat on the table 
while their organization is going to the cloud, they're looking at, you know, a digital experience, a digital doorway for their customers, for, for, for people to actually interact with the actual core product of the company. Out there, the CISO having a voice to say, look, I think this is great, but these are the 10 things we want to keep in mind because we don't want to fall on our face while we digitally transform ourselves. In our view, yeah. this is the, the, the CISO of the future because that's still a rare minority. It's early adopters. It is not something which is, you know, it, it, I would say the CISO community has still not crossed the chasm when it comes to, you know, enabling business. But that minority of CISOs who understand that this is where they need to be, and by the way, it's with or without safe. They're already doing it. They're already trying to quantify and communicate in a language that beyond the security and technology team can understand. That's our sweet spot because most of them are either trying to do that using Excel sheets or using the FAIR methodology who we just spoke about is more like a science project, but those things don't work. And the moment you see, it's almost like this, right? There was always customer um, CRMs which are out there on Excel sheets, right? And suddenly when Salesforce came in, like if you think about it, it's just automating an Excel sheet. But the fact that you could put everything together and get the dashboards in real time, that was like, oh my God. And Salesforce is one of the largest SaaS companies on the planet. Think of us exactly in the same way. There's a lot of manual, very, very tedious and very error prone methodologies of doing things manually, which is going on. We're trying to just put all of that, package that together give it some sound data science principle approach of how do you look at risk and then put that into a, a pretty form as a SaaS output. And that is our sweetest part. One of the big things that we've seen recently is the idea that um, supply chain breaches have been a, a major thing. I mean, we, you know, the whole solar winds really opened everybody's eyes to that. But I, I, I think this is something that's been going on for a long time. I remember so even a couple of years before um, the whole solar winds thing i was talking to uh, mike rogers who was the director of the nsa and he was saying that like supply chain attacks are the thing that people sh need to really be worried about because there's enormous risk out there with with some of those things and one of the things that you guys do is you focus on that third-party risk management you evaluate what that that risk is too can you talk about how how you guys do that Chris, just taking one step back there, I, I told you that our objective is to become the one score that matters. Yep. When I can see I can see that safe security, you know, badge on everybody's websites now. Here's my score. <laughs> well, <laughs> not just websites, best case scenario on the metaverse avatars of every single <laughs> human metaverse. being who walks and says this is my <laughs> just safe with a score little badge over their head. Yeah, it says, yeah, I can trust the person or not. Sorry, I, I just took it. you into five years in the future. That's <laughs> yeah, I love it, I love it, I love it. <laughs> but, now but, we know where you're, you're going. Know, yeah, and that's exactly where we want to go, right? Every IoT product will have a stamp saying this is safe to use. Or that's every great. Metaverse avatar will have that. But again, I know this was not about the future. Uh, this is about today. And and we today will only become a one score that matters for the board when we are truly inclusive of all kinds of risk that really affects an organization's cybersecurity risk posture. While I spoke to you about APIs and we have you know, over 100 APIs to really pull in stuff from your AWS and Azure and GCP and your CrowdStrike and your Qualys and your Tenable and you know, like a ton of products which are out there, but that's only your first party risk. And again, there are enough reports to prove that more than almost 30 to 40% of hacks which happen every year Start from third party. So how yeah. could we leave out third party if we were to give you a holistic, integrated view of your real risk posture? 
And therefore, we applied the same principles of what we went with first party risk management to third party risk management. We did not want to become another questionnaire based, you know, uh, third party risk assessment company. And there are a ton of really good companies out there like, you know, OneTrust, et cetera, et cetera. We didn't want to become another outside in assessment provider for third party. And there are a ton of those companies out there also. We said that third party needs to be reimagined. And again, because of our API first approach, you need the third wave in the third party risk management. The first wave was questionnaire based. The second wave was outside in assessment. We think we're the third wave. And by the way, the third wave is first of all inclusive of the first and second wave. So we are not saying you should omit the first and second wave. We mm-hmm. think there's some degree of value, but it's static value with questionnaires that you get. Outside in, the scope is very little when you only look at somebody's websites and primary and secondary domains and associated domains. What is required is take a read-only API access from your critical third parties where you're exposing your data. And from that API access of their CrowdStrike, of their AWS, of their O365, of their Zoom, et cetera, et cetera, read-only access, you can see a real-time view of your third-party security risk posture from an inside-out perspective and not just from an outside-in and questionnaire perspective. Best example, Okta. If you Mm -hmm. saw what happened with Okta a few months back, and I have a lot of respect for that company, is Okta never really got hacked in the in the Okta hack. What happened with the Okta hack was that it was one of their contact centers where a contact center executive with the highest privilege of being able to reset your password, not see your password, but reset your password, their laptop, their system was compromised. And because somebody took over that system and Okta had no clues about the inside out security posture of that third party, the headline of Wall Street Journal and others was Okta got hacked. Well, in reality, it was not the Okta, you know, software which got hacked. It was a third party which got hacked. I'm not saying it's not a hack. It's definitely a hack that Okta should have done better for because it should have had us in a biased way, <laughs> but more importantly, an inside out view of the third party risk posture, which, yeah. which was not there. So we think the future of third party risk management will go beyond questionnaires and outside in assessment and it'll have inside out assessment. Now you can't ask your third party to deploy agents or to go ahead and, um, you know, uh, say, Oh, I'll have five servers of mine sitting in your environment. That's too much work. But if they're already doing assessment, which is supposed to be doing, all you're saying, hey, you have CrowdStrike, right? Give me your CrowdStrike's read-only access. You're storing all my data on this AWS account. Give me this account or this subscription on Azure and a read-only access of that. So that the moment there's an S3 bucket which opens on the internet, which has my customer data that that third party is using, I will immediately be able to see that on my dashboard. And then you can you know, take your actions based on that quantification of the inside-out risk. I, I think that's an incredibly pragmatic approach approach to the, the the realities of the security challenges out there with regard to third parties. Um, but, you know, I, I want to, you know, you, you got my head spinning here a little bit when we, we talked a little bit earlier. You know, I, I was going to ask you what's next for s- safe security. And you, you kind of are, have already gone way beyond what I, what I what I was expecting, but tell tell me what what where are you? I mean, like that's, that's, that's a few years out because metaverse is still coming, but what, what, what's from here to there? All of that is under the same umbrella of becoming the de facto standard, Chris. Yeah. We think, when you think about the world of zero trust, right? The fact of the matter is you cannot operate only at zero trust because if you double clicked on zero trust, 
basically when you trust but verify, you actually talk about measuring trust. And you cannot measure trust till the time there is a standardized metric of measurement of trust because everybody cannot have their own metric which is out there. Yeah. Where when everything's going, Web 3.0, etc., etc., coming up, there'll be a minimum expectation of security and safety that the digitally native individuals, which all of us are, will have an expectation when you buy a laptop, when you buy a cell phone, um, when you go out on a EV car driving, which is completely automated, on what should be a minimum threshold of safety. And that's what really we are driving towards, whether it's, you know, standardizing and you can get to know your own score, Chris. Like on the personal side, we have this app called Safe Me, S-A-F-E-M-E. It's free of cost. You can download it right now and you can see what is your safe score right now. We think that will evolve into a part where every individual will not be allowed or will be allowed on their Zoom meetings based on their safe score, whether you can trust that person or not. A laptop, which we give scores to, will be allowed or not allowed to join a network if the score is a particular number. And below that number, I said, sorry, your antivirus is not updated. Till the time you do it, you're not allowed to join into the company network. So how do you operationalize? One is make a de facto standard, but then it's like credit scores, right? The reason why credit scores are so important is not because you care about your credit score. It's because tomorrow when you apply for mortgage or you're doing anything, your thing can get rejected based on the credit score. And that's yeah. the reason that becomes the one credit score or finance score that really matters to you. We aspire to be there and we are just taking baby steps to lay that foundation and uh, arguably be not only the pioneers, but the champions of a safer digital future as you move forward. I almost look at it like, uh, you know, when you're in California and you see all those those uh, in the restaurant windows, those food ratings, and you're like, oh, yeah. you want to go into sure. the A's, you don't want to go so much in the C's or the D's, right? And and I got to imagine, you know, if, if your vision plays out, it's going to really... Um, have a huge impact on the security posture of so many organizations if that is something that you know consumers use as a metric of trust, right? 100%, Chris. And it goes back to the fundamentals, right? You can only operate in an environment that you trust. That's just yeah. how humans live. You can, you can optimally perform. And when you have the same degree of trust with every machine saying, okay, I think I can trust this machine and therefore I will be working and making my you know, next document on it or speaking to somebody who I love on that. I think that will fundamentally shift how we we we, we rely on technology also as you move forward. So yeah, it's very exciting for us, Chris. I got to say that, you know, Sundish and I have, since we first uh, met you and first found out about your company, have been, uh, you know, very excited about you and, and what you guys are doing. And, uh, you know, you, you keep growing and getting better. And we're we're very excited to see where this all goes. And, um, you know, thanks so much for coming on and, and telling us, giving us the update because the, the crowds were demanding it. And, and you have a great crowd, by the way, Chris. I know the kind of the, not only the IQ, but the technical IQ of the kind of people <laughs> who listen to this podcast. So it's truly an honor to be here. And thank you for the opportunity uh, for, for spending the time with me. Thank you, Chris. And thank you, Sandesh. Uh, it's always fun chatting with you guys. Yeah, it's great talking to you. Thanks so much. Thanks for watching. I'd love to hear from you in the comments section. And if you like what you saw, give us a like and think about subscribing. It helps the channel a ton. And I will see you in the next video.